I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadundi and Bububun people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Nungabuja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 75. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies, and men's experiences of pleasure. And today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Dara Stewart. Originally from Dublin in Ireland, Dara's background is in natural science, and he holds a PhD in plant developmental genetics. Currently, he's passionate about psychedelic science and specifically the role of plant medicines and psychedelics in mental health. Dara is currently focusing on men's development work and psychedelic retreats in the Netherlands at the center which he co-founded called Inward Bound. And you can find Dara on his website, which is innerwork.ie and also inwardbound.nl or on Instagram at Da Stewie. That's D-A-R-S-T-E-W-Y. And in this episode, the two of us, we talk about Dara's experience of masculinity and sexuality in Ireland, as well as his observations of Irish culture and how it's impacting the men that he works with. We also talk a little bit about Dara's work with psychedelics and how he integrates this with his men's circles. It's really lovely to connect with Dara. I had a really enjoyable conversation with him. So I really hope that you enjoy listening. Purpose of foreplay is to cause the vagina to lubricate so that the penis can penetrate more easily. During sexual intercourse between a man and a woman, sperms are placed in the vagina of the woman by the penis of the man. Let me at this point make a clear-cut scientific statement. Masturbation is not harmful. I'll, uh, I'll start, man. I'll start with uh, an invitation. And the invitation is, uh, I'd love for you to share, brother, like about a little bit about yourself as much as or as little as you feel comfortable uh, about the work that you're doing. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested these days about what people are passionate about. So I'd love to invite you to share about what you're passionate about at the moment as well, dude. So that's my invitation. Yeah, thanks. And uh, yeah, really appreciate you having me on. Like I was saying uh, just there, I've been following your stuff for nearly two years now, and it's been really inspiring seeing you open up the conversation for men around intimacy, sexuality, and, you know, re-empowering guys. I suppose my own my own journey of, um, let me say, re-empowerment kind of started in my early 20s when I kind of hit a depressive episode. Um I was studying my PhD at the time and my grandmother died and then I ended a long-term relationship and this sent me into a bit of a, you know, dark night of soul, a bit of a a crisis um, and a lot of anxiety um, and, you know, I was pretty depressed, couldn't get out of bed. I was, you know, under so much pressure for work um, and was just leading a very life that I, I wasn't so happy about. Um, and I started to, to drink a lot of alcohol as well at the time, typical for most Irish people who go into that sort of spiral of depression and uh, disconnection from the body. So I kind of got to a point where I needed to change and this sent me on a course of, uh, looking inward, um, and working on myself, uh, started off with meditation, yoga, 
all these kind of uh, great practices, breath work, um, and then very quickly found psychedelics and plant medicine. And from then, from there, it was kind of no going back. Uh, I was kind of catapulted um, deeply into uh, spirituality, into personal development, self-help. And now nearly 10 years on, um, I'm in a position now where I uh, hold that space for others and help guide and mentor. Uh, so it's been a really, really big journey, you know, uh, the last kind of 10 years. And it's a, an absolute privilege and very humbling to to be in a space where um, I can be in service and help others. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really, really passionate about, you know, people be learning to, you know, discover who they are, their authenticity, uh, speaking the truth, connecting to their purpose, uh, their passion, um, really focusing on uh, community at the moment and uh education around certain topics so that's what i'm really looking forward to having the chat today with you around um men's sexuality and intimacy because you know in ireland there's just no voices for it we're still so far behind and you know the uh, social media is i find is you know amazing it can be a bit of a double-edged sword sometimes but you know having people having people like you online who's paving the way uh, is really amazing because uh, that's what we're ultimately doing in Ireland. We're looking outside of here to see, you know, h- how do we learn about these things in in a system that is so far behind. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to to the chat today, uh, and then to also talk a little bit about my my journey of um, uh, connecting to uh, my own sexual power and becoming intimate with myself and others. Mm, beautiful man, thanks for sharing, dude. And and like that that leads me to my I guess my first question is. You know, you were saying that um, Ireland's maybe a little bit behind with regards to, especially with regards to speaking about sexuality and things like that. But what about those other modalities that you mentioned, the breath work and the, I guess, the other kind of spiritual or healing modalities? Were you able to access that in Ireland? Is there, is it, you know, is it common for those things to be available or did you have to look outside of Ireland to, to find them? Yeah, like a, a number of years ago when I when I first started my journey, um, you know, uh, there wasn't so much around. There was a bit of yoga and a bit of meditation, but uh, the likes of, you know, uh, breath work and uh, plant medicine weren't so much in the, the forefront of uh, society. Um, and, you know, even though I did start, I got labeled as, you know, a hippie or yeah going going down that road especially because i was a scientist you know people were looking at me oh my god why are you going to these things um but we had like festival culture in ireland's really really amazing you know so there was you know workshops at festivals and that sort of thing um but for me i uh went to india so i went to india for the first time um two and a half years ago and that really catapulted my development you know i was there i was a seeker essentially like most people are who go to india um and i was really seeking a, um a lot out there so i went to lots of tantra, tantra workshops um intimacy uh, retreats um you know conscious relating learning all about consent boundaries um so going there this was like the playground for me. Ultimately, this was the space that I really catapulted my development. Um, you know, I was doing breath work every day. There's plenty of plant medicine out there as well. Uh, obviously, yoga and meditation, India is really well known for. But you know, it wasn't until I went abroad to India for the first time, and I've been I've been back since. I've I've, I've had two big trips there. 
um, that I realize how much there is a lack of that in Ireland. So, you know, I think it's a classic thing when you're in the bubble, you can't see outside it. And then you go to these other places and you see all these other people in workshops who are so empowered and so connected to their body and so sensual and so like strong in their sexuality and their yeses, their noes, their boundaries. And it would just blew me apart. So, you know, when I was in India, you could really see, oh, there's the English people and there's the Irish people because we were so disconnected from our bodies. We we're kind of just standing there in, in the corner of the room, stiff, you know, stiff as a board, you know, when you have all the kind of the uh, Latinos or the Italians or the French, so fluid and and the Spanish as well. And I, I was like, whoa, oh my God, I can't believe this. It was just, yeah, I really got shown the mirror for the first time when I went to India of where I was at on my own journey with my body. Yeah, well, let's dive into this, man. Why? Do you think that um, a lot of that is missing from like the UK? Let's let's just kind of broaden it here to, to the UK in general, because uh, like I've spoken, I've got a Scottish father and I can tell you straight up, he was <laughs> definitely disembodied and not, you know, connected to his sexuality. And, and you know, he's, he's learned a lot just through the work that I do. But all the guys that I've spoken to that are from the UK, I used to play soccer when I was in America, a bunch of the English guys on that team. Again, there was that, um, rigidity, right, which you were kind of alluding to, and I've spoken to a lot of Irish guys. One of my best friends um, is Irish, and and that's a topic of conversation all the time. Is the lack of all this kind of stuff in Ireland, and so I'm wondering, man, why why do you think there is this lack of of let's say spirituality or sexuality embodiment um, in in the UK? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that I've definitely been diving into, and you know the the uh, the roots of you know, the UK is 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 back to to you know it's a quite a mix of a country if you if you go back in time, but you know the Roman roots are there, and you know the Romans were they were they were known for having these huge sex sex parties and orgies and you know uh, times of absolute excess, um. So it's really hard to kind of pinpoint um what where it started, but for me it's it's ultimately I think uh, uh religion. So um you know, uh, Catholicism. Um, this is when there was the the kind of shift in power. So uh, for me, I think the the disembodiment uh, is ultimately dis- disempowerment from yourself as, you know, uh, as, a, as, as I suppose a divine being, a sexual being. Um, and it, that, that's what's quite similar in Ireland and the UK is that we have, uh, you know, um, Protestant and Catholic, which are ultimately very similar. You know, they only they they broke off from the same the same thread. You know, not not so long ago, um, and this this brought in um, you know a lot of shame around the body and a lot of uh, guilt around self pleasure. So you were seen as sinful if you uh, touched your genitalia. Uh, it was a sin to, you know, um, wed or, or sorry, sorry, uh, make love or have sex outside of marriage unless you you got married, um, and, you know, in Ireland this got so bad in the in the seventies and eighties. So there was a complete abuse of power in the Catholic Church where um, people were really. F- um, felt to shame their bodies, you know, um, and uh, this is when the kind of disembodiments, I feel, kind of started with, with the Catholic Church. So, you know, people stopped having, uh, you know, 
sex for for pleasure it was only when you were married and it was serious um and it was only for procreation this was kind of the line from the the catholic church you know it was only for procreation nothing to do with uh pleasure so people started to, to disconnect from seeing their their bodies as you know vessels of having having pleasure um and then also in ireland we hold such um i think a heavy like kind of pain body in ireland around around that you know there was a lot of abuse scandals with um uh, catholic priests um um you know and this was abuse of power you know um lots of uh, cases of them uh, molesting children um lots of babies were being taken away from mothers who were outside of wedlock and you know there's even stories of some of the babies being um you know produced by catholic priests um so you know it, it goes really deep and it was really it's a really horrible scar we have here in ireland um and you know they're still uncovering bodies of babies um at the back of like catholic institutions and i think that's the same in canada there was a big kind of uproar there in the last few weeks um um so you know there's there's there was this divide and it, it, for me personally you know i think uh, when I look at my own journey, I went to a uh, primary school um, and then also a, a secondary school, so high school, and I was segregated. So, you know, ultimately I went to school only with men, only with boys. Um, and the girls were always on the other side of the school, nearly in, in the same building, but a big fence running through. So there's that, you know, there's that separation we're seen as like they're over there and we're over here. So, you know, when the time comes that you do get to intermingle with women, um, you don't have the social skills. You feel like, oh, they're separate to me. They're different. So this brings up a lot of people. Now, I'm quite a social person, so I was quite lucky, but I didn't sit beside a girl until or a woman until I was in university. That was the first time I sat down beside a woman in um, a kind of uh, educational setting. So a lot of schools are like that here in Ireland, and they're still here like that. And most of them are still run by the Catholic Church. Um, so that's when that's when the separation really starts. It's that young, so five five or six when you when you go to primary school, uh, that's you're, you're already separated from women. So um, yeah, it's a it's a it's and it's still still like that. So that's um, the that's that's how it is. So it's still a little bit of a disaster in in having that separation. Yeah, yeah, man. This this like resonates with me on on a bunch of different levels based on my own um life i suppose like i went to uh in, in high school i went to an, like an english grammar school here in australia which was an all boys school uh and we had like our sister school where all the um all the young women went and um and yeah like the only you know the only time i suppose that it was like sanctioned by the school that you could hang out with the girls was at these particular formals where the schools kind of met up um and you know like it, it was an anglican school i suppose so there was that kind of you know we, we 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 had to go to chapel twice a week and it was uh it was enforced you know and we we said daily prayers in the in the houses that we were in so it's very like that kind of formal british boarding school style uh, and then when i went to university i went over to um a uni in america to study for two years uh in a place called uh georgia so the deep south the the kind of you know conservative christian south and, and in fact the school that i went to was um, a baptist university and similarly there like you it was um i mean your, your stereotypical kind of conservative christian mentality with regards to sexual expression like 
sex before marriage was a sin homosexuality was a sin um there was no education around contraception uh it was very uh you know there was a lot of guilt and shame around it so it was you know you'd have to go in and, and repent right and and um and talk about all the things that you uh, i think it's confession in in um catholicism uh and yeah it was just this community of people that um were were stifled in terms of their their sexuality in terms of their sexual expression and you know when i was that age as well um in that community like it was like i just drank you know and and um and to, to kind of deal with it, I suppose, because I came from Australia, which is, you know, at least my upbringing was a little bit different to, to the uh, Americans in that that community. So my way of maintaining some sort of normalcy and, and kind of clinging on to my Australianness, I suppose, was to just be like the rowdy, drunk Australian guy. Um, and and you know, I'm, and you, you kind of joked about this before when you were in your, your early twenties, I think you said, you know, you turned to, to alcohol as well. And I, I know just from observation and from speaking to other guys from, from Ireland and the UK, that there is a big drinking culture as well. Right. And, um, and I'm wondering, uh, this is a bit of a loaded question. I feel like I already know the answer, but I'm wondering, does that play a role, that drinking culture play a role in like stifling expression or like influencing expression of masculinity and sexuality and, and intimacy in relationships? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think it starts to, you know, move into the, uh, the toxic realm once one consumes a lot of alcohol. Um, and it's, you know, for me, having done a lot of work on myself and moved into the kind of spiritual sphere, I've definitely been able to disidentify with you know irish culture and see it through a different lens and i think traveling really does that for you you know when you're kind of sitting around a table um you know not being the stereotypical irish person that everybody expects you to be because you've kind of started to get a, rid of all the, the the things that you don't see as good in your culture uh, and alcohol was one of them, you know, I, I, I went kind of, I went sober for six months and then I started to reintroduce alcohol in more of a mindful way, you know, like a glass of wine now and then, or one or one or two pints of Guinness, but I, I, I don't drink at all to excess anymore. I, I really see it as, you know, um, uh, a mindful practice. Um, but for, for most people, i I think, and, you know, if you think of Ireland, like, why are we known as such a, dr a big drinking nation? Because I personally feel there's so much pain there. So there's this pain body around, um, what has happened to Ireland? You know, we used to be a very spiritual country. We have a very rich culture of music, mythology, uh, uh, Celtic spirituality. We even have our own own language, uh, Irish or uh, Gaelga, which is effectively has been wiped out in the last um, 150 years. So now I speak English, you know, but my ancestors would have spoke a totally different Ir uh, uh, language, Irish. Um, uh, and, and ultimately what happened in Ireland was a people call it the famine, the potato famine, but it was ultimately a genocide where we were colonized by uh, the United Kingdom and um, England. Um, a lot of our people were murdered. You know, there was nine and a half million people in Ireland. Um, millions emigrated to America and the rest of the world. Uh, millions died. 
Um, and now we only have 4.5 million people. So you can see the extent of uh, the reduction in population, even 200 years on, we're still nowhere near what we were at, at the peak. Uh, a lot of the land was lost, so a lot of the trees were cut down. I think Ireland has one of the lowest uh, amounts of forestry percentage-wise in, in Europe. Um, a lot of the land was taken to um, or taken over. People were kicked off their land. There was a complete repression of our culture identity, um, and people were made become uh Catholic or, or Christian so that they could survive. You know, the the this religion was giving the the food and the shelter. So people were made convert. Uh, take the soup is is the is the phrase. So, you know, there's this pain here in the country um, that we are still only dealing with. Um and I think that's kind of seen through people then drinking alcohol to kind of dissociate from the pain. So that's where we start to get to disembodiment. And uh, the power has been taken from a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of my work with men is seeing how actually disempowered they've been throughout the years um, by society and by religion. Um, and, you know, what do people do when they're feeling little or disempowered? Well, they want to escape, you know, they want to escape, escape their body. Um, and they're, you know, this then feeds into, you know, not being confident, uh, being socially awkward um, and, you uh, and feeling depressed and down and, and what kind of uh, helps that well it's alcohol you know and <laughs> um, it gives you that kind of confidence boost it gives you that feel good and um, but you know out of all the substances in the world it's one of the i, I personally think you know one of the top three worst because you know it, it doesn't really add so much uh value to you after um, and more or less you know takes away your your, your spirit um so you know with 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 that there um and with you know the kind of the, the feeling of disempowerment and uh, i think that's why we have such a big drinking culture um in ireland is we hold this pain body of what's happened to the country um with with regards to our language our culture our our our, our indigenous spirituality um but now there's definitely a shift and you know people are starting to to look back at the, the old ways now we're still drinking a, a shit ton <laughs> but you know in my circles and in my sphere i know a lot of people they do that journey of becoming sober um and realizing whoa i actually get my weekends back i don't need alcohol as a social crutch anymore i uh, you know starting to rebuild their confidence um so yeah it's 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 it's, it's a big shift and it's 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 slowly happening i feel Maybe not quick enough, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's something similar in Australia, I feel like. Like, Australia is quite well known for, like, drinking as well. We've got a pretty strong drinking culture. Um, and the, yeah, the, and so I'm curious, man, because there's like a, you know, there's a few quintessential Australian male stereotypes that like come to mind when it, and and i'm sure that probably come to your mind or people that are listening they're like oh if i think of an australian bloke like the true aussie battler type of stereotype there's a few kind of quintessential ones and i'm wondering is there like a quintessential stereotype of a of an irish guy like is there a you know maybe in the work that you do you can kind of identify oh this guy is like maybe adhering to the societal kind of stereotype of what it means to be an irishman is there anything that you've noticed yeah, definitely. I think, you know, people are uh, or guys are kind of wedged down a path, you know, like you go to school and, you know, you drink on the weekends, you hang out with your mates. We have, you know, a big sporting culture here. So you're kind of involved in, 
in 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 sport which is which is amazing it's such a a, a wonderful outlet for so many people um, but then you're kind of like shift shifted into like one of the the financial companies or tech companies uh probably doing a job that you don't really like um and then you get you get caught in this cycle so you know doing a lot of one to work one to one work with guys you see this cycle you know there you get a mortgage so you need to you know and you get a car loan uh, so then you got to stay in your job um to 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 pay these bills uh so you work monday to friday uh friday comes you're absolutely hating work so you go out on the lash for two nights drinking um you you know you have a hangover probably smoke fags to reduce the anxiety of the pressures of work and, and then you're kind of into this kind of coffee cycle so you drink lots of coffee to get you going again on monday wednesday's coming you're kind of like oh god um still on the coffee probably smoking fags and then back drinking on the weekend and the cycle kind of repeats uh, where people are kind of stuck in this loop of you know um this this dissatisfaction with their lives in society probably in a job that they don't even know how they got there you know it's probably family pressures or societal pressures you know uh to be a lawyer or, or be an accountant or um uh you know whatever it is and you know i think one really good thing of the pandemic is that people have been made to stay at home and sit with themselves and then the like a lot of people I'm working with have really realized, well, I actually um, hate my, hate my job. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Like I never wanted to do this, you know? Um, and they're looking around at all the shit that they own and go like, well, none of this shit is making me happy, you know? So I'm really loving that aspect of the pandemic that people have got this like space and time to really think about what they're doing. But I think the quintessential Irish guy is probably really dissatisfied with life um and you know even the outlets in the country where we're we're so repressed in terms of like in our clubs close at 2 30 in the evening we have only certain times that you can buy alcohol you know all these measures are brought in to to protect us but ultimately we're living in like a, a nanny state so the the state is trying to take care of us and that is also disempowering because we're not allowed um, you know, take control of our own lives. We, we're the government is essentially showing us or uh, providing the framework where what we can live in. It's like you know, you're, you're you're you'll misbehave or you'll be bold. So you know, these are the things you can do, and these are the times that you can do them. Um, and I think that's a real disempowerment with what men feel. You know, I think you get to a certain point in your life where you look around and go. Am I in control of my life? I don't think I'm in control of my life. The government is in control of my life or society is controlling me or, or my parents or whatever it is, you know? So yeah, a big part of, of the men's work for me as well is getting guys to connect back to their, to their wild man, you know, like uh, stuff from Aaron John and Robert Bly trying to get guys to really take life by the balls again and take control of what they want and who they are in the world in a really positive sense, you know? Yeah, yeah, beautiful man. And is the is part of that connecting back to that sexuality, that wild sexuality as well? The wild men kind of, um, for me at least, the way I, I've I've observed it and way I've kind of like integrated, I suppose, my own work is like the this there's, there's a sensuality in the wild men, you know, like the an sensuality not necessarily in like the sexually explicit sense, but in like the in the in the realm of the senses, right? The the um, the connection back to a sense of touch and the sense of smell and the sense of sight and and just like connecting back to the sensual realm um, in a very literal way. And and so I'm wondering, is part of the work that you're doing with guys getting them to kind of connect back to their sensuality? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a, a great question. And you know, for me, I've been I've been on my own on my own journey with this uh, since I went to India two and a half years ago, doing all these different workshops, totally putting myself outside the the comfort zone. But that's what I absolutely love being on the edge. Um, and it's it's almost nearly always reflected in the you know I always find that the work that I do myself is nearly always reflected on the external. So you know I think um, I started to do some men's circles, um, which I do online around consent, boundaries, conscious relating, and sexuality last year. And when I opened up the kind of um, the the space with the intention of talking about sexuality, it was I was one of the most deep, powerful circles I've ever had. The stuff guys what they were sharing was absolutely phenomenal. So since then. Um, you know, sexuality had been coming in for different guys in in the different circles, you know, talking about, you know, addicted to pornography, masturbation, uh, disembodiment, um, uh, not being connected with themselves, finding it hard to find partners um, body issues, all this sort of stuff. It was all, you know, it was all coming in. But when we had the one around sexuality, it was just phenomenal to see. It was kind of like a snapshot. You know, we had like 25 guys. It was just really a snapshot of Ireland, different ages, different backgrounds of like what's really going on. Um, and since then, I've been kind of being a bit more vocal now about my own work. Um, and I'm definitely moving into more of a position where I feel like I can hold that for other men. Uh, and looking at pages like yourself has been a great big inspiration. Um, and yeah, like I did, a, I did a post this year this year around sexuality which actually got banned from instagram had to repost it and do it properly with all the little hashtags and not be too explicit and not have my bum cheeks in the photo but when i post that up and really let people i was kind of vulnerable with it and let people know where i'm at then that was really reflected in a lot of my one-to-one work so you know guys coming to me now asking like you know about my journey and i'm trying to guide them and mentor them with their bodies but it really breaks my heart to see so many guys are you know yeah disembodied disempowered um and you know a lot of body dysmorphia a lot of erectile dysfunction you know guys having sex with the lights off uh having all the shame around their body performance anxiety um so you know a big part of my work is trying to bring more presence to guys you know trying to get them to do some tantric breathing and you know eye gazing this sort of stuff trying to really coax it into their awareness uh, about what's going on and ultimately what they want you know trying to get them to self-pleasure and more of a you know, touch their body in a more pleasurable way rather than this like self-gratification of like just trying to get one out or have that release. Um, so yeah, definitely I've been building up to potentially like having some offering here in Ireland and uh, because we are, we are unique, you know what I mean? I think we, we're, we have this kind of heavy cloud of religion and Catholicism, you know, uh, you know, the priest telling us if we masturbate, we'll go blind or not to touch yourself. The birds will peck it off or all these little turns of phrases, you know, we're coming out and all the guys are like, yeah, that's exactly what I heard too, you know? Um, so, um, yeah, I think it, it, it is, there is a shift. It's slowly, it is shifting. Um, and I think to be honest, the biggest reason is that the women are really doing the work. You know, there's some uh, women here in Ireland who are really pushing the sexuality and the intimacy stuff, which is fantastic. Um, but the guys are going to be left behind, you know, so um, we, we need to we need to face it, you know, and we need to do that uh, area of work now. <laughs> Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a 
plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure oriented. We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. I'm wondering then, dude, let's let's talk about maybe your own personal journey, if you don't mind. Um, What was... um, what were some of the big shifts for you in terms of your like connecting to your sensuality and like embodying your pleasure and um, maybe shifting away from you know that you know you you, you gave some really beautiful examples um, to kind of sum up how a lot of Irish guys are feeling, which is like you know that performance anxiety, having sex with the lights off, you know, really kind of closed down. What were some things that helped you, and and how did you feel, kind of stepping more into that sexual embodiment and and finding pleasure in you know in self pleasuring and in sex? Like, what was your journey with that? Yeah, really great question, and yeah, a few a few things kind of come to mind. Um, I think, um, yeah, the the kind of the self expression in sex, seeing it as a creative process and not just an end goal for orgasm, you know, being able to vocalize, being able to move the body, um, being able to really get into the body and accept and love all parts of my body was really a really big part of me. So kind of doing some of that kind of like uh, witnessing work of, you know, standing fully naked in front of your partner and just looking at each other and saying, I love my body. I love your body. You know what I mean? It really fully moving into self-acceptance and self-love. Um, and yeah, connecting to the kind of the wild man. So having that like wildness, but in a soft and gentle way, you know, having the rough and tumble and the the strength and the fierceness, but also being conscious and, and mindful um so you know having being able to see the yin and the yang within the sexual sphere i think a really big one for me um was learning to receive fully um and i think you know there was there was a point in my life when uh, when i was depressed and i had so i had a lot of body pains i was getting a lot of pains in my hips and legs so i started to get a lot of physical therapy and massage and in this that's when i was really i really learned to be really in my body and to be really in a space where I was fully receiving, you know, so that's a big one. I think for guys is, you know, just being able to really lie there and receive, you know, a foot massage or a back massage or your arms or your legs, not necessarily only genitalia, but also to be able to connect to the pleasure that can be felt in all other parts of the body uh, when someone else is giving that to you. So definitely the self-expression um, the, the wildness, uh, the being able to be in that space of receiving. And then, you know, a really big one for me was uh, asking uh, or sharing what my desires are and asking for what I want. You know, I think I really realized when I did some of the work in, in, in India that, you know, I was trying to like subliminally tell my partner what I wanted, you know, by not communicating. So I started to really learn to communicate again uh, in this sphere because, you know, it just wasn't happening. You just kind of point or nod or, 
uh, I, you know, that's how I was. So being able to say like, I would really like you to like massage my ears or uh, I'd like you to essentially uh, rub my legs with like this pressure and this stroke. So being able to get really particular and say like, oh, that spot, I really like it there. Could you stay there, please, for me? Or could you go harder or softer? Um, so being able to communicate my desires and my needs uh, was amazing. I'm really, 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 uh, yeah, basically re-empowering myself, getting the vocabulary again. Um, and, you know, I love some of these games, like the three-minute games that, um, you know, really are so simple but can really help. And then asking for what I want as well, like, may I uh, rub this part of your body or may I, like, uh, give you a foot massage for your pleasure and my pleasure, you know? so. Um, this was, you know, very simple work, but it's not taught in schools. Um, and that's one of the one of the things I did mention earlier is that the sex education in Ireland is, you know, a, a, a 45 minute class when you're 10 years old. And then maybe five years later, uh, midway through high school, you get shown how to put on a condom on and then that's it. Out you go. You know, you're safe. So, you know, the education in the country is a disaster and they're uh, rewriting the education at the moment in Ireland. Um, and it's the new education they're putting out, a lot of people who are involved in the sex sphere here in Ireland are throwing their hands up how appalling it still is. So, um, yeah, so re-empowering myself and educating myself again, you know, not being afraid to open a book about sexuality um, and, um, yeah, being able to look at that area of work with just compassion for myself and saying, right, you know, I'm, 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 I'm at where I'm at with it. Um, and, you know, the sexual journey is such a big journey in itself. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving, moving uh, forward on it. Um, and then I think the last thing I'll finish up on that question is around the energy, you know, the energy work that you can do with a partner, you know, cycling the energy, holding the energy, being aware of each other's energy um, through exploring Tantra um was phenomenal you know was really gave me such a such a bigger kind of um not not respect just a bigger opening up of what this uh, the practice of making love can be mm, yeah beautiful man thank you so much for going into that dude there's like so much um like so much gold in in what you just shared and i think like it's important for not only like for for people like myself but i think like hopefully there's some some irish fellas listening um and uh you know seeing their own experiences maybe reflected in in your journey and your story and um and you're able to kind of maybe offer a bit of an example of a path that they could take um to kind of overcome the stuff that's been going on in their lives and and you know i i kind of wonder because if i if i think about my my dad um who's like an old school scottish guy if i think about like my mates or irish there's like this stoicism almost of like you know what it means to be a man is like like not express your you know not express your emotions not express yourself and to kind of be closed off and emotionally and and almost like like not show any affection not show like not tap into your sensuality at all because that's kind of not that's not what a man does that's almost like like that's gay right that you don't want to be you know think thought of as as gay and and so i'm wondering are you meeting some of that resistance or reluctance from the guys that you're you're working with is there that kind of um that struggle to overcome that you know the word that comes to mind is that stoicism Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there there definitely is a lot of blocks here, you know. Um, and you know, I'm I'm really passionate about um, uh, static dance and dancing. So you know, a big part of the work that I do on on the kind of connection retreats that I run here in Ireland is getting guys in their body, um, and trying to get them to move their body in lots of different ways. And you can even just see in that that there's, you know, that's where the resistance comes. Like you know, all oh, men don't move in that way or and um, that feels uncomfortable but you know most of the guys who i work with uh, are definitely there to you know push the boundaries and i'm always trying to coax them along um but yeah moving you know trying to get them to move into that sensual kind of ballerina or flowy dancer is a lot harder than getting them to go into the wild man you know during the dances or you know to to connect to the fire but um you know it's it it, def, it definitely is 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 challenging because we have a lot of those societal stigmas you know around oh that's for you know uh for, yeah for gay men and stuff like that you know so um i am met with that sometimes but most of the guys that would come to me in the first place are there to open up so um you know if i talk to a random guy i meet in a bar or in a pub or something they just think i'm way out there <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah but yeah. uh anybody who knows me and comes to my circles they're you know they're they know they're in for in for um uh you know looking at themselves in a very deep way yeah beautiful man what about um like this may be my projection um and, and it's informed by i guess my experience and the guys that i've met who are from ireland uh, over the course of my life but like the irish guys that i've met are, are fucking funny like they're like the banter is strong with um with the irish guys that have been in my life and and so i'm wondering is that um like, can that be a bit of a defense mechanism for for some of the guys that you work with to kind of hide behind the humor and to take the piss and make fun of themselves or make fun of each other and not kind of go to those deeper places and kind of keep it at that surface level banter? Oh, absolutely. You nail on the head, you know, self-deprecating. Um, and yeah, this kind of, I think I saw a post the other day on like, you know, lad culture and banter and, you know, you could hang out with a bunch of guys and you have banter for two hours and, you know, there's nothing actually of depth being said you know and you know for me i think it's all about balance there's always a time for a bit of a laugh for banter um but you know it it, it can be a defense mechanism it can be a deflective shield you know deflecting any any uh you know questions of of depth um and you know irish people are kind of known for having a joke and a laugh and i think because you know times have been so shitty that <laughs> we we really uh we really need to sometime uh, sometimes and you know if the nine to five the monday to friday is absolutely a disaster for you all you want to do in the weekend is have a laugh you know the last thing you want to be doing is looking inward at you know how am i sexually or how is my spiritual development or like what are my habits and patterns these these are things you don't want to go near because you know you're having such a shit week that the last thing you want to be doing is working on yourself. So you just, you get caught in this cycle of, um, a certain surface level, you know, um, which is unfortunate, but you know, what I'm seeing now is a lot of guys are looking outside that and they want to, they, they want to break out of it. And, and I think, you know, people are seeing, um, uh, others on social media really living lives of purpose and service and uh you know invocations that they really really um love uh so you know this being spread out is showing guys oh i could potentially be like that too you know there's no reason why a guy can't be like you or can't be like me if they start to work on themselves or look at themselves and reflect um 
so there 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 is there is that shift shift to depth and i think you know even with the pandemic you know people are deeper than what they were before just based on having to spend so much time alone and away from the pub and away from the bars and away from sporting events it's like all of these things that guys would normally go to have been taken away um so you know um they've had to reflect a lot more it's like kind of been we've been told to go to our room and reflect and now <laughs> uh, it's up to us what we do with our lives you know yeah yeah and i think that um like i think that that humor to go back there could be like and you, you said social media is a bit of a double-edged sword and like i think humor can be a double-edged sword i think at, you know we, we spoke about like the um the way it can be used in a self-deprecating way to keep things surface level to avoid going deep uh which is you know one edge of the sword but i also think like we can use humor to really cut through a whole bunch of um, stigma, right? Like I think humor can help us as well connect at a deeper level. I think there's like, there's ways that you can use humor to, um, yeah, to, to especially for men. Like I, I found, you know, at least in, in the work that I do with guys here in Australia, um, again, we've got a tendency to keep things surface level and take the piss out of each other. And we've got a whole tall poppy syndrome thing here in Australia. So um, it's, it, so there's a very strong de- self-deprecating kind of banter in Australia as well. And, and, but, but I can sometimes kind of use that and subvert that to, to take a guy deeper into a, um, into a process that he's going into. If he kind of cracks a joke about something, I can be like, Oh, why did you make that joke? And I can kind of like, riff off it and use it as a as a way to kind of go a little bit deeper with him so i think there is this opportunity to kind of use humor um and i'm I'm thinking in terms of like connecting with guys in in ireland as well to kind of approach it with this kind of humorous um outlook but then kind of take that humor to to a deeper level and say hey here's kind of why we go there here's why this kind of pops up and, and use it as a bit of that um as a launch pad, I suppose, to kind of connect with guys and then go a little bit deeper with them. Um, Cause I, I tend to find that, especially with like, um, like physical work, for example, like a lot of, a lot of the guys that um, when I, when I used to do um, in-person workshops, I used to always start off with like, let's do some fucking, let's do some sparring, right? Let's do some shoulder taps. Let's like, let's move the body in like a real quote unquote manly masculine way. Let's lift some weight. So let's do something that's like physical, right? And it's not, very, it's not very spiritual. It's not very esoteric. It's not very threatening. And that kind of gets them in the door and they're like already moving their bodies. They're kind of tricked <laughs> almost into like being embodied. Um, and then from there, it's like, oh, now, you know, let's introduce this bit of breathing, you know, and then, and then through the breathing, let's, you know, relax the bodies a little bit more. Let's introduce some conversation here. And it kind of is a bit of a launch pad to kind of start them at that surface level, but to take them a little bit deeper. Um, so I, I definitely think that humor could be used in the same way. Mm, yeah, I love that. Totally. Yeah. Um, what about uh, like in terms of your plant medicine, man, we haven't really talked about this. What is, um, what's available in Ireland in terms of plant medicine? And obviously I don't want you to get yourself in trouble, but um, what, uh, what, what uh, yeah, what, what's available to, to the, the guys in Ireland in terms of exploring plant medicine? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. We've been chatting away, and this, the, like the main part of my my work, you know, is uh, around working with psychedelics. Um, yeah, like there there is lots going on, you know, and that's why I think as well we're seeing these huge shifts. 
uh, in guys, you know, guys are going to plant medicine uh, ceremonies or working with psychedelics and they're being completely blown open, you know, because when you go in some of those spaces, your heart is blown open, your sexuality is blown open, who you are as a person is totally can be absolutely shattered. Um, and it can bring guys straight through all of the bullshit into a place of softness, you know, so that's and openness and vulnerability. Um, and, you know, guys are learning to sit in circle then after the ceremony with people and share what's gone on and being seen and being witnessed and being celebrated, you know, at these uh, at, at some of these ceremonies. And uh, this is kind of giving them uh you know, a, a foundation then to do men's work. You know, um, when I started doing men's work five years ago with my uh, friend, uh, Rob Coffey, who's now my uh, business partner with the psychedelic retreats we run in the Netherlands. Um, we ori originally started the group as a plant medicine, psychedelic integration space for, for men. So it was a space where men could come and talk about having these altered states of consciousness experiences. So through breath work, through yoga, through meditation, but mostly saying psychedelics are welcome here. Plant medicine are welcome here. And that was because our own work, we were doing lots and lots of uh, different types of psychedelics and plant medicine to catapult our own development. But here in Ireland, you know, we're extremely lucky because it's at the end of the summer, we're coming up to magic mushroom season where psilocybe, semi-lanceata grow all across Ireland. So we have, you know, we have a, an abundant supply of this natural uh, fungi that grows everywhere, the Liberty Cap. And this is our indigenous plant medicine, you know. We have it here in South America. It's ayahuasca. In Mexico, it's peyote. In Peru, San Pedro, uh, the mescaline containing cactuses. Um, in Africa, it's ibogaine. In Ireland, we have psilocy psilocybin uh, mushrooms, you know. So uh, we have an ancient history of uh, Celtic uh, druid druidism. Um, maybe use the word shamanism, but like it wouldn't have been called shamanism. But there was no doubt that Irish. Uh, our Celtic ancestors were working with uh, magic mushrooms for personal growth, healing, development, uh, connecting to spirituality, um, you know, building community. So we have them all across Ireland and a lot of guys are working with them. And then a lot of guys are going abroad to do psychedelic ceremonies, you know, going down to uh, America, doing dietas. Um, you know, Portugal is a real big hotspot in Ireland. There's a lot of, you know, underground stuff happening with other uh, organizations. Um, so, you know, a lot of guys are working with plant medicine and that's why I feel that the men's work in Ireland is so strong now at the moment. Um, because it is letting men remember who they are in essence, you know, re-empowering them, getting them to reflect, look in inward, connect again outside of that bullshit sort of competitive uh societal narrative that we have so um yeah a big part of my work and um, you know i i work uh with psilocybin in the netherlands because it's legal so you know we've had guys in the in the men's circle circles in ireland and the men's retreats in ireland fly over to the netherlands do the the psilocybin journeys with us there and it just you know the psychedelics and plant medicine you know they're not for everybody they, they're really beneficial for some people but some people they just aren't aren't there yet depending on you know having not done enough maybe talk therapy or maybe they're on antidepressants or have bipolar disorder or clinical depression or something so you know just to say that they're not for everybody and it's really important that people do their their due diligence before they work with psychedelics but for the people that they are for it can really catapult your personal and self-development and and then there can be a beautiful weaving of doing the grounded work with um with psychedelics. Uh, so 
you know, we're in a psychedelic renaissance or revolution at the moment where the clinical trials are showing how effective some of the different psychedelics are for likes of depression and, and anxiety. Um, but we need to do the grounded work. You know, we need to sit in circles sober. We need to do the one-to-ones. We need to do the preparation. We need the integration. So a big part of my work with men is preparing them for psychedelic experiences and then also doing the integration work with them after because, you know, they feel like their therapist doesn't understand psychedelics. Their doctor doesn't understand psychedelic ther- uh, therapy. So, you know, I'm in a position working with lots of different guys before and after trying to make sure that they're stable, they're ready, have all the tools, equipment going into the experience and then being able to fully integrate it after and doing all the necessary practices and different modalities so that they can, you know, continue to harness the wisdom and insights and lessons that they get from the experience. Mm, so beautiful, man. we're kind of... Yeah, so we're kind of at this space now where the the psychedelic specialists are only starting to, you know, be trained up. Um, And that's a big, big part of the work at the moment. Now, for me, we're starting this uh, introduction, online introduction to psychedelic therapy training program, which will be happening this September. So it's 11 weeks and we're bringing some of the best people um, across the world who work in uh, the psychedelic sphere to give everybody the necessary tools and education to be able to work with psychedelics personally and then if they want to potentially go on a path to hold that space for other people that they'll have a big awareness of what they need to understand and do so yeah i'm really passionate about psychedelics as you probably can (laughs) hear and just because i know on my own journey how much of a catalyst they were for me and i wouldn't be where i'm at today if i hadn't um have uh worked with them you know yeah i'm I'm wondering man and and um, if this has been something that you have done or experienced personally, or if you've um, seen it with some guys that you've worked with, because um, you said before, like Ireland's got a, a strong festival culture, for example. Um, and I know like my own experiences with festivals and I, I have spoken to enough people. So I know that this is a thing of using psychedelics at a festival and using it maybe with not the best of intentions in mind, just kind of using it to get absolutely fucked up essentially and um, and to like have a festival experience. And, and so I'm wondering, man, is, is that impacting at all the psychedelic space uh, or the psychedelic community and the work that's happening in Ireland, the kind of fe- the, the strong festival culture and the way that psychedelics are being used in those spaces? Oh, absolutely. 100%, you know, and, you know, I've nothing against recreational, um, you know, uh, uh, psychedelic use, you know, I think a lot of people get introduced to the power of psychedelics through uh, recreational means, you know, they're at a festival, they're having a few drinks and their friends say, here, do you want to try some of these, some of these mushrooms that I picked up in the, the Wicklow Hills here in Ireland? And people, people are like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then they try them and then they have these like profound experiences um and huge shifts in their psyche um but then they don't know what to do with them they just think oh i'm alone that was just me at a festival i was fucked up you know and i had this uh, realization of you know my trauma or seeing myself outside of myself or whatever it is um but you know what i'm passionate about is letting people know that you know there are other people who have these experiences too you're not alone um that people can have profound spiritual experiences at festivals and a lot of people do and a lot of humans would have had those experiences for millennia you know what i mean as humans we have um we would have had it and still have a huge festival culture you know we would have got together at different times of the year to celebrate different things you know the harvest season the the solstice the equinox these were very pivotal moments in the 
in the in the calendar and they would have been always celebrated with big festivals you know going to india my god do they love a festival there and you know even though you know they don't really do psychedelics there um just being at those spaces can also be a spirit you can have spiritual experiences just the energy and the people so you know i really think you know festivals are catapulting us again in so many different directions you know um in terms of creativity self-expression you know you go to an irish festival and you see all the guys dressed up in glitter and face paint and everything and it's like a space where they can explore that you know they'd never do that they'd never do that outside of a festival so i really love festivals i think they're such a great kind of playground for self-expression for self-discovery um for exploring what it means to be a human uh with lots of joy and celebration and happiness but stuff does come up you know so there's um you know a movement here in ireland now to create these like psychedelic safe spaces of festivals because there ultimately is a need you know people are doing lots of different stuff um and there's a need for it being held and people having someone experience to to sit there with them if they are having like ego dissolution or they are you know work going through something really difficult so um i think they're yeah, they're wonderful, but we need we need the the safety net there as well of of trained guides who just have like the psychedelic safe space. And there's amazing projects around the world, the Zendo project, um, and um, what's the one at Boom? I can't think off the top of my head. Um, you know, there's there's great projects there that um are creating these psychedelic safe spaces uh, for people. Oh, Cosmic Care is the one at Boom. You know, so you know, Boom in Portugal is seventy five thousand people. Uh, uh, psychedelics are decriminalized there so there's a lot of psychedelics and then there's a team of over 100 people who are facilitating people having these spiritual emergencies or ego dissolution or you know maybe taking too much so and um, we need the we need the supporters there and the helpers to help guide people beautiful man yeah i love that and i remember a, a podcast episode i did with a guy um here in perth called tobias um for people that are listening they might if they're resonating with this part of our conversation they might want to go back and listen to that because he's a psychedelic integration therapist um which is essentially what you've been talking about which is helping people process a psychedelic experience after the fact and and you know figuring out like how to integrate it into into their life like what did they learn how do you bring it back into into your day-to-day um you know what is this what does this kind of mean for you as well all these questions that we can feel like you're right. We can feel so alone in in those experiences and be like, "Oh my god, what do I do with this now?" You know, I've had this really profound um, spiritual experience, but what the fuck does it mean? You know, how do I navigate this? And um, and oftentimes that can feel really isolating. Uh, I, I know when you know when I first started experimenting with psychedelics, I didn't. I, I felt like I couldn't tell anyone. I was like, I had these real amazing especially when i when i tried dmt for the first time i was like i can't tell my mates this they're gonna think i'm a fucking fruitcake they're gonna think i'm crazy <laughs> yeah. and so it wasn't until i felt like really comfortable in who i was and that i was a person who experimented with psychedelics and and really got a lot out of it that i was like Fuck, I'm, I'm proud that i experimented you know i'm proud that i had these experiences and i want to share and i did get some guys that looked at me like i was you know speaking a different language but i then got some other guys who were like dude, that was amazing. Can you tell me more? I want to know more. And so um, it, that was a, a really pivotal moment for me in terms of my um, relationship, I'll say, with with psychedelics and, and plant medicine as well, um, having gone over to, to Peru with my brother and, and trying ayahuasca and things like that. So it was a, um, 
yeah, it's been a big journey for me, psychedelics, and it's not something I really talk too much about. Um, so I'm, you know, um, and I'm just mindful of time. We've just kind of like left it until like the last minute of this podcast to actually talk about psychedelics. Um, but yeah, it's, maybe, it's, I'll, it, maybe I'll have you, maybe I'll have you on, on my podcast when I start it and we can talk about psychedelics. Oh man, that'd be actually amazing. Yeah. I would, I would love that dude. Cause um, yeah, I've got a lot of, uh, a lot to say and, and, um, and, and I have this like, especially for men, man, if I tie this back into men's work, like I have this, have this um, vision I'll say around, uh, especially uh, MDMA, using MDMA for like in, in men's workspaces to break down those barriers, that stoicism that we were talking about before, like to break down that blockage and that reluctance. Um, and even like, because I want to tie this into like the sexuality work as well, male sexuality work, like even MDMA facilitated or MDMA assisted like sex therapy, you know, like um, and sex coaching, like getting guys um you know, to take a little bit of, uh, you know, a clinically dosed MDMA to, to self-pleasure, to, to explore pleasure in their body, to kind of tap into their sensuality, to tap into that kind of sexual embodiment as well. Um, I think there's like a really big um, potential for that, which I, I haven't seen. I, I mean, I've, it's pretty underground at the moment and I don't really have a lot of, uh, I'm not really tapped into the kind of clandestine um, psychedelic community, but um, but I'd love to try and, and, and talk to some people about like the integration of sexuality and sex coaching and MDMA-assisted um, therapy because I think there'd be a good uh, overlap. You know, I kind of think of this Venn diagram and those two things could have like a really nice sweet spot in the middle uh, between those two things. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're to finish up now, but sexuality and psychedelics, you know, they have a lot in common. They're two really, really profound experiences that we can have as human beings. And, you know, the work that we can do around them can be just as, you know, tough and raw and uncomfortable, but the rewards are absolutely, you know, phenomenal, as you know. And then, you know, yeah, sex and psychedelics. Well, I don't need to say any more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have that conversation, man, on your podcast. That'd be amazing, dude. <laughs> um, I, I want to say thank you uh, so much, man, for joining me. And, you know, if, if there's like... Uh, this is obviously going to put you on the spot, but if there's like a piece of wisdom that you could share uh, or just like a nugget of gold that you think would be really valuable for, uh, again, I've got a predominantly male audience. So for some fellas listening who are resonating with our conversation, is there like a nugget of wisdom that you'd like to share with those guys? Yeah, I think the the thing that just jumps into my mind is, you know, just be a little bit aware of your, your self-talk, you know, and try and speak to yourself like you would speak to your, your, your best mate, you know, um, with, you know, compassion, love and kindness. You know, if you speak to yourself, uh, holding those kind of, um, virtuous things in your, in your heart, then, you know, you'll start to lead, lead a happier and uh, healthier and uh, love filled life. So, you know, um, try and speak to yourself like you'd speak to your, your, your best friend. Mm, beautiful, man. Thank you so much. And thank you for spending an hour just chatting with me, man, and being open and, and vulnerable and honest about your journey, dude. It's um, it's it's really refreshing, actually, to hear that coming uh, from someone with an Irish accent because it's very yeah. rare. Uh, it has been, at least in my life. So um, I really appreciate you, dude. Oh, thank you. And it's been a great honor to, to be on the podcast. You know, like I said, the work you're doing is inspiring. So keep it up, man. Thanks, dude. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. 
You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind-the-scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So, like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.